text for this morning's sermon is Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we may witness the public profession of faith of our sister Ashley Reed. And God has shown forth his mercy and grace in her life. She was privileged to grow up in a Christian home to learn to know the Lord in that time. More recently, Ashley has gone through a period of struggle in her faith. She had all these questions and she was searching for answers. Coming into contact with Isaac and with the Reformed faith has been a blessing to her. God has provided answers for her questions. He has allowed her faith and trust in him to grow. With thankfulness and joy, we praise the Lord for his faithfulness in bringing Ashley to this day on which she will make profession of her faith before God and many witnesses. Our text this morning is taken from Jeremiah's prophecy. During his ministry, God's people Judah were in a time of great deformation. They wanted to maintain the outward worship of God, but their hearts were far removed from him. While they professed faith and trust in the Lord, at the same time they worshipped the idols of the surrounding nations. They still confessed God's name, but instead of trusting in him, they boasted in their own wisdom and might and riches. Please understand, beloved, that what Judah did is common to mankind. We all have things we're proud of. Perhaps it's something that you've made, a piece of art or restoring an old car or fixing up your house. Perhaps you take pride in something that you can do well in playing a musical instrument or being good at a certain sport or being talented at your job. Perhaps you're proud of a particular achievement, a diploma or certificate that you've earned, or receiving a notable award. There's nothing wrong with taking pleasure in any of these things. We may rejoice in the gifts and the blessings of God, as long as we don't become proud. You see, as human beings, we often begin to rely on what we've done or on what we've achieved, to trust in our own abilities instead of on God, to boast in our own achievements instead of boasting in what the Lord has done for us. In our text, Jeremiah directs us away from ourselves, our own wisdom, our own accomplishments, our abilities, our own resources. Instead, he urges us to boast in the Lord and in his wondrous works. Hear then God's call, which I summarize for you under the following theme. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
We'll consider the warning not to put our confidence in our own achievements, the call to know God and delight in his wondrous works, and the assurance that God will help us in this by his Holy Spirit. Jeremiah served as the Lord's prophet in the final generations before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the captivity of God's people. He was called to office in the 13th year of King Josiah in 627 before Christ. His service as prophet lasted for over 40 years till after the destruction of Jerusalem. During this time, Judah was in crisis. For a while, they were under the control of the Assyrians. For a little while, they were independent. And in the end, they were exiled by the Babylonians. Our text is set in the time before, Babylonians, before Babylon's dominion over Judah and Jerusalem. Jeremiah weeps many tears for the destruction that was coming. The Lord says that he will send a sword among them and scatter them among the Gentiles. These events had not yet happened, but they were coming. The Lord told his people to call for the mourning women, to instruct their daughters in the art of wailing. Judgment was coming, and it was coming soon. Why was judgment coming? What had the people done wrong? Well, Jeremiah is clear about the people's sins. They had exchanged the worship of the Lord with the worship of other gods. This turning away from the Lord led to other sins. The people were guilty of adultery, of slander, of deceit, of dealing unfairly with their neighbors. But the basic problem ran much deeper. In Jeremiah 9, verse 3, the Lord says, They proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. In verse 6, he says, Heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. God's people had turned away from the Lord. They didn't want to know him. Their problem is summarized very well in chapter 2, verse 13. The Lord says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We all know water is necessary for life. It's possible for people not to eat food for a period of weeks and still survive. But if you don't get any liquid into you, you'll soon die. The Lord compares himself to a fountain of living water. Life, joy, peace, comfort, and hope are found in him and him alone. But often people spurn the Lord. They seek life, happiness, comfort in things rather than God. When we do that, God says that we're attempting to get water out of holes, out of tanks filled with holes. You see, beloved, the basic question is, where do you look for your happiness? Where do you seek satisfaction for the longings that live in your heart? The Spirit of God calls us he welcomes us to share the riches of Christ. Yet so easily we're drawn away by temporary, backfiring pleasures that this world has to offer. 
And that's why Jeremiah came with his call issued in our text, urging God's people not to trust in themselves, in their wisdom or might or riches, but rather to glory in knowing God and all his wondrous works. In our text, the Lord says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. In Israel, there's a group known as the wise. And many of the sayings of the wise are recorded in Proverbs. These wise men included people like the scribes who were supposed to know the law of God. The problem is, is that as time went on, these wise men forgot that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They began to rely on their own wisdom and understanding. They boasted in what they knew, what they could figure out for themselves. In Jeremiah 2 verse 8, the Lord condemns Israel's leaders for relying on their own wisdom. We read this indictment of Judah's leaders. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. In those days, in Babylon, there were also a large group of what were called wise men. They included the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the diviners. They drew their wisdom from the pagan world of omens and evil spirits. In Paul's day, there was also a group of wise men. The Apostle Paul challenged this group of Greek and Roman philosophers. He asked them, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? These men tried to work out the meaning and purpose of life in their own minds by logical reasoning and thinking. They were often highly esteemed by the rich and powerful. But Paul considers them fools because they did not know Christ. Beloved, also in our day, we have people who are highly regarded because of their wisdom. People who are experts in their field. Doctors, researchers, political and business leaders, men and women of learning and excellence who excel at what they do. But we as human beings are not as smart as we think. There's a limit to human knowledge. Man smart enough to send a space probe to Mars, to perform open-heart surgery, to map out the body's genetic makeup. But we don't know how to stop war in Afghanistan or the genocide in China. We've got no cure for most viruses. The fight against obesity and illicit drugs shows that as a society, we've got little or no control over the appetites of the flesh. Beloved, at times we consider ourselves to be wise. We think that our intelligence, our experience, our know-how has gotten us ahead in life. But we're only finite creatures. Shouldn't think so highly of ourselves. Our knowledge is restricted. We're often unable to live our own lives wisely. 
So Jeremiah warns, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Paul says God will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. In our text, Jeremiah goes on to warn, let not the mighty man boast in his might. These words were written in a time when many men were soldiers and were fighting battles. Men valued physical strength and power. Those who were good with bow and spear and sword were admired. Consider how Israel's women sang praise to Saul and David for their prowess in making war. Or how scripture exalts David's 30 mighty men. Judah was faced with dominating world powers. For a while they were under the dominion of the Assyrians. They had to pay ransom or else face exile. God's people sought refuge in military alliances. They threw off the yoke of the Assyrians and sought to make treaties with the Egyptians and with the Babylonians. They trusted in the armies of these nations instead of in God for their protection. We too tend to trust in our own strength. As a society, we look up to those who possess superior strength and skill. Just think of the way that sports stars are idolized. Within our culture, there's a heavy emphasis on physical fitness. People spend long hours at the gym working for the perfect body or the healthy heart. It's good for us to live healthy lives, to take care of our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. But it's wrong to idolize physical strength, to make a God out of our bodies. We live in a fallen and broken world, beloved. It's possible that an accident could leave you with a lifelong physical limitation, or that disease could leave you weak and helpless. Those who get older experience the limitations of the body. At times it's hard to accept that there's things you can no longer do, that there are limits to your strength and your ability. But the sooner we learn not to trust in our own strength, the better off we are. For our own might cannot save us. Jeremiah also warns us, saying, Let not the rich man boast in his riches. During the reigns of some of its latter kings, Judah still experienced good times. There were some in the land who lived in luxury and extravagance. Jeremiah condemned King Jehoahaz for saying, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms and with large windows in it, paneling it with cedar and decorating it in red. This king built his palace by unrighteousness, refusing to pay the wages of the laborers. He built it as a status symbol in order to glory in his riches and might. We today are also tempted to glory in our riches. In our materialistic age, it's an area where we're especially vulnerable. Investments in a business or housing or in the share market can tempt us to think that we're it because we've done well for ourselves. Beloved, don't trust in human wealth. It's often fleeting. It can be wiped out by a downturn in the economy or by the collapse of the housing market, or a crash in the stock market. 
Remember the warning in the parable of the rich fool whose life was required from him just after he accumulated his wealth. Boasting in ourselves or in our achievements is silly. Trusting in our wisdom, might, or riches is foolish. One of man's greatest weaknesses is pride. Pride is the feeling of self-esteem arising from one's own accomplishments, possessions, or position. Pride is man glorifying in himself, in how great he is, in all he has done. Pride says, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at how mighty, how powerful I am. Pride is one of the works of the flesh. It stands directly opposed to God. Our text not only warns against boasting in our own wisdom, might, and riches. Instead, it calls us to boast in the Lord. We deal with this in our second point. We consider the call to know God and delight in his wondrous works. Jeremiah says, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The but at the beginning of verse 24 of our text is an important word. It introduces a contrast. The Lord says, Do not boast in your wisdom, your might, or your riches, but boast in understanding and knowing me. This is an either-or proposition. Either a man will boast in his own achievements, or he will glory in the Lord. Why? Because either we seek life in ourselves or in God. Clearly, Jeremiah does not forbid the people of God to be wise or mighty or rich. As Christians, we may strive to learn and be educated. Some Christians attain influential positions in society. Some Christians are blessed with great wealth. But the Word of God says there may be no boasting in these things. Do not let these things occupy your heart so that your inner life begins to revolve around them. Do not let these things fill your mind so that your conversation's always returning to them. Do not live your life centered on these things. Jeremiah stresses that the most valuable thing in life is to know the Lord. Knowing God is so precious, so enduring, so satisfying. There's nothing else that can be compared with it. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In John 17 verse 3, the Lord Jesus said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In Philippians 3 verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, he considers everything as a loss 
compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. The most important goal of life is to understand and know the Lord. Not just with intellectual head knowledge, believing that there's some kind of supreme being out there. Boasting in the Lord involves a faith and trust in the God who has made himself known to us in his word. He reveals himself as the Lord who has made a covenant with us. He is the God who says, I am your God and you are my people. Knowing God involves living in a relationship of close communion with him. Beloved, do you live in close fellowship with your God? So often, we're so busy chasing after 101 things that we neglect what's really important. We're reluctant to spend half an hour reading and studying the Bible and praying to God. And yet easily waste an hour or two in front of the TV or computer or on social media. Let's get serious about getting to know God better. Because learning to know God is the most important. It is the most worthwhile relationship in the entire world. Understanding and knowing the Lord involves more than just head knowledge. While I was in university, I had a Hebrew professor who knew the Old Testament scriptures really well, but didn't know the Lord at all. To him, the Bible was an interesting archaeological resource, but he did not consider it to be God's revelation about himself to mankind. Despite being able to quote sections of scripture in Hebrew and understanding the minute nuances of the text, my professor did not know or understand the Lord. His heart was cold. It was closed. It was unaffected by the Lord's marvelous deeds. The point I want to make is that knowing the Lord involves both a knowledge of the truths of the Bible, but also a heart conviction that these things are true. The Lord wants you to delight in his wondrous works. To do that, you need to know something of his character. Jeremiah teaches us to know the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. The Lord's steadfast love is mentioned first. The Hebrew word used here means covenant loyalty or unfailing devotion. It refers to God's commitment in loving us. Even though we sin, even when we're not walking closely with him, God has shown his steadfast love in sending his son into this world. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Lord's justice and righteousness are also mentioned God is righteous in himself. He does not sin, but he has absolute integrity in all he is and does. The Lord's justice is seen that he is fair in all his dealings. His justice involves both punishing the wicked 
for their wrongdoing and delivering the oppressed from those who afflict them. Thus God rules wisely over his people and over all the earth. The goal is to make it possible for us to live in close communion with him and with our neighbor. These qualities of God were seen in the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. He was full of God's loving kindness. He had compassion on those around him, healing the sick, causing the lame to walk, giving sight to the blind, curing those who had leprosy, even raising the dead. Jesus was also righteous. There was no sin in him. He lived a perfect life. He acted with complete integrity so that no one could charge him with wrong. Jesus was also just. He hated all injustice and spoke against it. He condemned those who did evil. He stood up for the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Why does God want us to know him as a God of steadfast love, righteousness, and justice? Because what is true of God's character, as seen in the Father and the Son, must also be true of our character. We, beloved, are called to image God. Those who claim to be Christians must show forth the marks of the Christian. What does the Lord require of you, asked the prophet Micah? To act justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do you love mercy? Does your loving kindness show forth to all those around you? Do you show that by being patient with those who irritate you? Do you love others by not joining in gossip or slander about them? Are you kind to those who are often left out, living at the fringes, those who get picked on by others? You show others the compassion that Jesus showed to the people of his day? Do you act with justice and righteousness? Are you honest in the things you say, in your financial dealings, in your deeds? If someone's treated unfairly at school or in the workplace, do you stand up for him or her? Do you do what you can to help the poor and the needy, both in the church and in society around us? Are you willing to stand up for what is right, even if that causes you to be ridiculed by those around you? Beloved, do you walk humbly with your God? Do you acknowledge your utter dependence on him? Do you confess your inherent inability to choose for God or to live in communion with him? Do you realize that but for the grace of God, you would be an unrepentant sinner walking on the pathway to hell? Do you pray for God's grace and spirit to lead you forward, helping you to walk each day with the Lord, your God? In and of ourselves, we're not able to do any of this. But Christ has not left us orphans. He sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts 
And I focus that on our final point, the assurance that God will help us in this by his Holy Spirit. Actually, in a little while, you'll be asked to make vows before the Lord and many witnesses. You'll be asked, do you, do you truly detest yourself and humble yourself before God because of your sins and seek your life outside of yourself in Jesus Christ? Do you declare that you love the Lord God, that it is your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word, to forsake the world and crucify your old nature? You'll be asked, do you resolve to commit your whole life to the Lord's service as a living member of his church? And when you say, I do, in response to these questions, you're making a vow, a binding promise. You can make your vow in good conscience, because it's your wholehearted intention to do so. But none of us can keep such vows in our own strength. We're finite creatures living in a fallen world. At times, we are confronted with strong temptations and difficult trials. Life can grind away at us, causing us to doubt God's faithfulness or to fall into various sins. Our comfort is God has not left us alone. He does not expect us to keep our vows by our own strength. Before Jesus went up into heaven, he promised to send another helper to be with us forever, even the spirit of truth. And the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, Paul writes, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's word, illuminating it, illuminating it to us. He also equips us. He strengthens us so we can live with Christ and for him. The Spirit helps us to understand that our abilities are really God's gifts, that our achievements are God's work in us. He transforms us so that our focus is turned away from ourselves and to the Lord. So that instead of boasting in our own accomplishments, we glory in what Christ has done for us and in us. The result is that we rejoice in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ and that we respond to this with a life of thankfulness. And beloved, that's what Ashley is doing this morning. She's professing her faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. She's acknowledging that in and of herself she's dead in her sins, but that she seeks her life and salvation in Jesus Christ alone. She's committing her life wholeheartedly to Christ's service. What an encouragement for each and every one of us. Let us, too, seek to know Christ as that treasure of surpassing greatness to find our life in him, and to live our life for him. Beloved, let us no longer put our confidence in ourselves or boast in our own accomplishments, but instead, heeding the call of Jeremiah, as repeated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by singing together.
from Psalm 20, uh, stanzas 3 and 4. 